As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Drancer, we are back two wins later. Elias Pedersen is back and all is right in the Canuck metaverse. You could actually buy Bitcoin for Canuck the way things are going right now. Just what did you make of what we saw last night? A, a workmanlike road victory over the Nashville Predators and Petey's starting to look like Petey again. Yeah, Petey was the best player on this road trip. And and that's with, you know, even though he couldn't outscore Yuho Lamico and Tyler Maud at five on five, who can these days? <laughs> Um, you know, Petey was their best player. I mean, you're looking at a guy with a 70% expected goals for, uh, you're looking at a guy who's generating like, like an, at a ridiculous rate, right? I mean, just generating quality chances incredibly. And, you know, that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, that makes a huge, huge difference in terms of what this team's able to do. Like Petters, as Pedersen goes, so goes this team's offense to some extent. As good as you know, some of the other players have played, particularly JT Miller. You know, they need PD to be at this level if they're going to make the type of miracle run that they still need. You know, I, I know everyone's really excited that the Canucks jumped out of seventh in the Pacific, uh, even though the Oilers have four games in hand. No one wants to hear that, but you know, this is still the twenty. Second, twenty third team by point percentage at this point in the season. They have they have a lower point percentage than the Detroit Red Wings. It's still going to take like it's taken a 10, 4, and one. Is that right? 10, 4, and one? 10, uh, 2 under and Bruce? Yeah, is it 10, 3 and 1? 10, 3 and 1. 10, 3 and 1. Record to get to this point, you know, uh, 0.017 point percentage points back of the Detroit Red Wings, right? To get to that next step. And to get to the fringes of the playoff race, the realistic fringes of the playoff race, up to you know a one in five kind of shot, it's going to take them sustaining it. And, and like it's like it's still a steep climb, but if Pedersen's going and if Demko continues to play like this, you know he's the number one goaltender. Like the Canucks have the best five on five goaltending in hockey right now, all season. That's not new. That's cumulative. Um, you know maybe maybe they have a shot. So I, I know fans are excited about that prospect. Uh, the big question for me is how does management feel about it? How does Jim Rutherford feel about it? Right? Like how how is he thinking about this team? And did they perform well enough on this road trip 
that he'd sort of look at it and think, hey, you know, maybe maybe I need to just tweak things around this group as opposed to do something a little more rigorous in terms of uh, surgery to get this organization on a on a path toward contending. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's gonna it's gonna change in season versus off season, right? I mean, what he decides to do now in terms of tweak, I don't think he's gonna do anything major to support the current roster for the current season, right? I think Jim Rutherford is too smart for that, and fortunately for him, he's not desperate enough to feel compelled to do that, like the previous management team may have felt, right? Mm. But that doesn't mean he can't make significant changes in the off season, right? And and uh, you know, we're we're gonna talk about JT Miller because I know that the thought of moving JT's been getting some run in the marketplace, but let's let I want to stick to Pedersen just just quickly. Um, you know, there there's things I'm seeing in his game that excite me. And I've been as down on his first half of the season as anybody. You know that, right? You've had to talk me off the ledge repeatedly. But for me, <laughs> like, yeah, you've been you've been you've been I, I you're not hard. among I'm you're not, not apologizing the, for that. You're not among the trade Patterson set, but it's also only been a two game bounce back. You know, like it is, but I've been I've been desperate to see anything, right? Like so so for me, maybe I'm overreacting for a two game bounce back, and it has been just that. But there's been nothing resembling this. Like you might see like a flash in game, but in terms of two complete games, and you you know you could maybe even go back to I think some you can of the go Florida back to Tampa. Games. It's four, yeah, it's four so really could, good games from him. And, and that's the thing, right? And he's playing on the line with these two young kids. So it's like the, you know, the ultimate kid line from a Vancouver Canucks standpoint with Pod Colson and Hoaglander right now. And he's back in the middle because of the Horvat situation. Yeah. But just for me, like it, it's not the goal, right? Like the, the goal was great. It was a great finish, right? It was a, it was a clinical finish yep. on that rebound, which, you know, like a week ago, it would have been over the net or it would have fanned off a stick or a stick would have broken, right? Like that would, one of those three things would have happened. It wouldn't have been drilled into the back of the net. But more importantly than that, like that epic shift, which, you know, I've, I had people on my feed talk about it being Sedine like, um, you know, they were in the offensive zone for what, 90 seconds on that shift. And when I, when I saw it, there were plays where he takes a one-timer and just rifles it off the crossbar. Like for the, yep. the seven pings in the early part of last season, no ping was that loud, right? But then, <laughs> yeah. but then right, and I don't know if we have analytics for loud pings no, versus no, just you, pings. I mean, it could play, it was, so, uh, the, the post sung so loudly it could have played on Broadway. It could have. So we leave it to you to describe it perfectly. So from there, you know, later on in that shift, Duchesne's got the puck with a chance for an yeah, easy clear awesome. at the blue line, and he gets under him and just out muscles Duchesne at the blue line and doesn't just like fire it and makes a play off that play, right? Those are confident plays that we just have not seen enough of. So it's it's not just the goal. It's it's other moments in the game where you could just see that just a little level of swagger is coming back. And yep. that's what I want to see is I want to see an attempt to make confident and creative moves. And we've seen that in the last couple of games. So we'll see what happens over the course of, you know, the, the, you know, they're back at home now and they play Florida again. And, you know, they've got a tough schedule, even with the home games. And then they've got compressed games coming up. He's got every opportunity to put on display that, yes, that first half is behind me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm not what I was two years ago, but I'm like 80% of the way there or 90% of the way there. And we can, we can see it on the other side. So I think that would answer a lot of questions for the organization and not that they were going to trade Pedersen. Like that was just not going to happen. Um, at least not this year and not this off season and nor should it have, but 
just some some excitement there. I think he brought out the best in Nils Hoaglander. I think there have been times where it's been the other way around that he may have brought out the best in some other guys just because of his energy. But I, I think it was the other way around with him at center and a player that hasn't been trending well defensively, as you and Harm pointed out in your in your seven things that you'd seen. Uh, I think about three days ago, you guys posted that. So now, you know, I'm seeing so much generated and possessed in the offensive zone that we're now seeing the best there as well, right? So just a lot to like from what should be or who should be the Canucks best player. Yeah. The thing I like best from Pedersen's road trip by a lot, he's at a 69.33% share over the last five games of expected goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, No Regular Canucks player, like no player who played every game on the road trip is higher than 61. It's an 8% bounce over his next closest teammate. That's a five on five. So he's not just back generating goals. He's not just back generating chances. He's not just back making confident plays. He's back driving play in a major way, in a way that no one else on this team can match when he's at his best. Uh, He's processing the game at the level that we've seen him do before he's drawing penalties, something that for me is like the main thing to watch for Pedersen. If he's, it's a a great indicator of play driving. Yeah. If he's inside, if he's generating, if he's frustrating and threatening opponents, if they're worried about him, he's drawing penalties. And when he stops drawing penalties, that's, that's when he looks the way he did in the first half of the season uh, or for much of the first half of the season. Cause I guess we're still there somehow the seasons felt endless, but, Somehow we're not even at the halfway mark well, with, all, with all the breaks. But yeah. when you look at like, you know, we talked about that Carolina moment where stick breaks and he gets clipped and and falls into the end boards as rock bottom. And then he went back to the bench and you could tell how pissed off he was. And there have been other moments of failure this year where Pedersen has had every right and pretty much encouraged to be pissed off. Right. He should be upset. Um, do you think that did anything like do you think there was a rock bottom moment? that got Pedersen saying, okay, F this, uh, you know, finally. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it was like a YouTube. Uh, my, my guess is it wasn't a uh, something dramatic. It was, I, I think, um, I think it's been a lot of, like it's been, it's the duration that made this something. You know, like it's not yeah, about, yeah. it's not about a low moment so much as it's been about this accumulation of, of sort of feckless form. Um. And it's just sort of lingered in, in a way that, you know, has to have been really, really challenging, you know, and, and we've gone through it before, but like the contract, the injury, the vibes, the team losing, the summer comments, and then, and then to come in and be like, oh, wait, we're losing because of me. Um, you know, all of that, uh, the criticism, right? The, the pressure, the pressure of the new deal, um, you know, I think all of that has played a big role in, in him being off this year. Um, so for me, it's been an accumulation. It hasn't likely like my guess is there's not a moment that it just like clicked or a moment that he was like, this is unacceptable. I have to, you know, it was, it was more just an accumulation of struggle. And then, you know, how to get yourself out of it, right? How to get yourself out of that moment where you're low confidence wise, where you don't feel like yourself, especially as a young man, right? Like those moments are far more challenging before you have the self-assurance of, you know, life experience that comes with life experience that comes with really knowing who you are. Right. And I think we've seen Pedersen try out or try on some different things over the course of the last two, three years um, in terms of, you know, the social media guy, the um, like, you know, the, the 
the defiant star player. Like we've seen him try on different hats, uh, figure out who he is. And and so to, to go through the, that type of confidence struggle at the age of 23, you know, before you really have that fully fledged, um, fully fleshed out identity and self-assurance that comes with it. You know, I, I, I can understand how that would be challenging, right? Like I've gone through similar things in my life. I, I, I'm sure everyone listening can relate to that. So, you know, the, I think, I think it was more like that. That would be my guess. I do think playing wing helped. I just think, I just think sometimes it helps to have something change. And that's what I liked so much about his game in Nashville is that, you know, he moves to the wing and instead of the conversation continuing, like, well, he's better at the wing, which by the way, he's never going to be better at the wing. He's always going to be better at center. But the idea that, you know, gets moved back to center before anyone would have liked him to, right? Like before he would have ideally liked to, before the team would have liked, they would have loved to have given him run on the wing to get his game back. Instead, he's forced back into the middle and he just does the same thing in the, at center. In fact, he probably has his best game on, of the trip at center, just completely driving that line. Loved it. Loved everything about it. Um, you know, I think Petey's back. I think Petey's back. I think we're going to see him lead this team in scoring from this point on. Even even discounting the three goals from the last two games, like just from this point on, I think he'll lead the team in goal scoring. And um, yeah, I mean, that's a great thing for the Canucks. And it's a great thing for any fans hoping to go pay and watch this team live play live in the next couple couple weeks. Well, I think that's music to the ears of Canuck fans, even greater music than the crossbar that can play on Broadway. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, let's let's get into um, some of the offseason talk about first of all what this club is going to do because if they if they continue, certainly Jim Rutherford is not going to look at the standings and see, you know, the fact that they just passed the Oilers, but forget the fact that they've got four games in hand that Edmonton has. Regardless of of them, I mean, there's just so many teams right now uh, in between, and and we know what they've got to maintain in terms of a point percentage to get in and how difficult that's going to be. So he may be at the point where he chooses not to make a move like an in-season JT Miller trade or a deadline JT Miller trade or a, you know, anything of significance other than some tweaks around the edges, get that, you know, get some fourth line center depth. That's a right-handed shot or, you know, maybe a guy that can support the back end a little bit that can be a bit of a puck mover, but it's a little bit later in his career and you're not having to pay the farm to get him. Like, you know, who who knows in terms of tweaks? I can't see him doing anything of significance, franchise-altering moves at this stage. To support this group. You're not, you're not, they're not going to buy. No, no, exactly. I mean, no like, are they going to be a buy? They, you know, they might buy off the discount rack, but they're not going to like buy big. I would be shocked. I would even be shocked if they buy off the discount rack. Really? Yeah, I mean, just you hear Boudreaux like, look, if they what if they win seventy percent of if they are if they're at like a seventy percent point percentage between now and March twenty first, do they consider it? Maybe, but I mean, you hear them talk about this team, whether it's Boudreaux or Rutherford, and there's a lot of critical commentary, isn't there, in terms of the roster? Sure, that's what I hear. I just don't. I just. 
You know, I think but that doesn't, but that doesn't mean you have an owner that says, look, just see if we can do a little bit. Let's just show the marketplace that we're trying. Uh, I've taken a lot of arrows. Um, you know, Drancer's been all over me all season. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I'm, and again, I'm not talking about major surgery, right? I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, minor helps, right? Like just, just tweaking around the edges of the roster. You know, the fourth I, line center. I mean, I could, see them, I could see them sending money if they can, if they can do money in money out, right? Like yeah. if they can, if they can rearrange deck chairs in that sort of manner then i could see it a sort of rutherford special right <laughs> my, my problem for your problem i could see something like that but like futures for win now help no chance no no no, no, no I, I totally agree and, th and that's what i'm suggesting is you know could you move hamannick to some team that needs defensive help for no you know your fourth line right-handed center and you, like you have to see him play yeah but we're on the verge of that happening are we not i mean boudreau didn't sound sure uh, I know Dolly Wall's in, it been insisting that he'll probably be back this week, but, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Until I see Hamannick on the ice, I'm never counting on seeing Hamannick on the ice, right? Like, that's sort of been our rule all year, and it's served us well. So let's talk about um, JT Miller a little bit. And look, he's playing great. Uh, he's been the, the play driver this team needs. You know, when they had uh, Pedersen move to the wing, it was so he could play alongside of, of Miller, who maybe could potentially bring out the best in him. He's been everything that this club could have asked for this season. But we know the contract situation. We know that they've got other contracts coming up in the next two-year cycle here. Uh, really, next three-year cycle, if you want to throw Pedersen into that mix, right? Um they can't pay them all. You've got a guy that's got value. You've got a guy that's got term and you've got a guy that's on a team friendly deal. So we don't think they're going to move them in season, even though you might extract the most value in season. It might not be significantly more than what you could get for JT Miller in the off season, you know, closer to the draft and, and that kind of thing. So what do we see as the future for JT Miller, given how well he's playing, given how much value moving him could have to the organization relative to where their window could potentially be and where Jim Rutherford is, Jim Rutherford is logically going to see it as. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to squirrel this question a little bit, Farhan. So, so excuse me, but I want to focus on a different type of tell for me, right? Like the JT Miller thing has soaked up a lot of oxygen. We'll come back to it. But there's two guys playing really well right now who, for me, serve as almost like a template of the type of player that Rutherford teams have typically valued very heavily, and both are on expiring deals. And I'm talking about Matthew Highmore, and I'm talking about Tyler Mott. And we know what the Mott-Lamico-Highmore line did on this road trip. We know how good they were, right? We know the how much they line. played. The, the second line. Yeah. And, you know... The speed, right? The tenacity, um, the way that they like those guys are Rutherford, Carolina Hurricanes, or Pittsburgh Penguins style players. Now, Highmore is an RFA with arbitration rights. Mott is a UFA after this year and will not be inexpensive to, to resign. He's going to have market, especially with his sort of unique profile and penalty killing ability and, you know, the fact that he played so well in the playoffs and opened up a lot of industry eyes with his performance there. Um, how they handle Mott and Highmore for me is going to speak volumes about what this team wants to do over the next few months. Like if they're extended, for example, or if they're shopped, um, you know, like a, a Mott trade would tell me a ton about 
Rutherford's viewpoint of this team and where they need to go because uh, because how Rutherford has typically built his teams, how he's described what he wants his team identity to be, those guys are like the personification of it. Like you can't, they're the model of of like Rutherford depth players, super fast, super gritty. Um, you know, some offensive pop, uh, try hard all the time. Like those are the guys. Those are the guys. That, that, you know, you could throw those guys onto Pittsburgh and people would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Those guys are Pittsburgh Penguins to help players, right? Um, for me, I'm really curious to see how things proceed with those guys. And if there's extension talks, if there's trades, just because they fit the template perfectly for, for the type of team that I think Rutherford will want to build ultimately in Vancouver, which is a team with an incredible amount of team speed and, and an am- amount of team speed that this team doesn't have cl- come close to having at the moment. Um you know, outside of that line, which has sort of worked right away. And Bruce Boudreaux keeps talking about how much he likes how they're in their opponent's faces. And, you know, you can see it like you can see Rutherford hockey right there. Now, coming back to JT Miller, JT Miller's, you know, a a tough, versatile playmaker, um, not a burner, right? He's not like the fastest guy. Um, Is he a Rutherford style player, right? Is, Is sort of one of my big questions. Um, maybe not traditionally, but I think he's good enough that, yeah, every team would love to have him and he'd have a ton of value. Like he'd be a lot of teams top or second highest, you know, on their wish list going into the trade deadline. If he were available, I don't think he will be. I think this team has to has to like no matter what Rutherford and Boudreaux think of the quality of the roster or where this team needs to go to to be a meaningful contender. They have to have earned the right to see how far they can take this. Right. Sure. And a JT yeah, no Miller question. trade's not one you're going to make willy nilly in six weeks. You know, like if six yeah, weeks think from of what now, that you're would s- think of what that would say to the roster. Right. Like, I mean, right. It even becomes a difficult decision for that reason in the offseason or a dif- difficult decision in the offseason, because, you know, what are you saying to Bo Horvat? What are you saying to Elias Pettersson that you just wait? You know, we were close to being competitive, but just wait before we can get really competitive. Well, and I'll, um, and I'll, and I'll let me let me come back to that point, because I also think the there's some timelines here. That matter, right? Like Besser expires after the season. He's an RFA. It's going to be a complicated negotiation because of his qualifying offer. Although mm-hmm. the team could, particularly if Besser's second half form looks like his first half form, scoring wise, take him to arbitration, right? And even seek to reduce his his compensation through that um, through that manner. Which again, very complicated negotiation. But that deals up in a year. Um, Besser of the Canucks core players strikes me as the least Rutherfordian in terms of his play style. And and I say that as someone who thinks Besser is really, really good. Like Besser is, you know, uh, one of the guys on this team that I am highest on in terms of being like he's a bona fide top line contributor in my view. Right. And, and you know, people people are like, is he ever going to score 30 goals? And it's like not at the net front on PP1. But I mean, he's got the ability. He's got a you know, consistent shot rate. He's smart. He wins battles on the wall. Like Besser's one of the guys that I think is, um, you know, <laughs> like really, really good on this team, but he's not a Rutherfordian player, uh, typically speaking. So that's an interesting one. So you've got that expiring in a year, and then you've got Miller and Horvat both expiring in two and eligible to sign extensions, which is an important part of this come July 13th. So, you know, what I'm really going to be looking for here 
I think as the Canucks navigate with Miller, uh, navigate things with Miller is I, I don't think there's any chance they trade him in season. I like well, not any chance, but I just don't think it's a realistic route for the club to take. And if they do that, it would be um, a, a spectacular surprise in my view. And, um, you know, and it would have necess- to be a home run on the other end. Well, I don't I mean, I don't I don't even necessarily think it's the wrong call. If your goal is to win like a Stanley Cup in, in year four <laughs> or year five. But I, I just I'm not sold that this organization is going to do it that way. And and I do think there's a lot of other dynamics at play that suggest that, you know, really what makes more sense is to keep him this season, you know, see how far this group can take it, begin negotiation talk or begin extension talks in the offseason and see how they go, see what that looks like, and then make a decision in the offseason. And, and for me, the decision basically is like, you know, what What I think the Canucks really do need to do is figure out how to carve out more cap space. I mean, the way that it's sort of shaping up, right? We're looking at a team cap friendly at the moment projects them next year to have something like, you know, 68 million. So they, they project them to have something like 10 million in cap space, maybe a little more if the cap goes Whoa. up. And, um, you know, I think the... And that's without counting carryover bonus overages. So it could be even less than that. Yeah, that's um, going to go fast with Besser. Really fast, right? Besser Besser eats up half of it. Now, the number I've always thought was 13. So I need to like actually model it out and I don't have my spreadsheets in front of me. But, um, but you know, they're not going to have a ton of cap space. And they're not going to be a wash in cap space. And they do need, and we know, know they need, to rebuild that blue line, right? And, and sort of add some forward depth, significant forward depth, some some guys who can kill penalties and, and help you win. So, and they need a backup goaltender. <laughs> so the, this team needs a lot, has a lot of needs and they're going to need cap flexibility to do it. And as I look through, I think, you know, one of the things you got to do is you got to see if you can carve out cap space by, you know, I, I mean, I don't think the Halak thing is likely to go anywhere, but that's one avenue, right? If you can duck the $1.5 million bonus overage next season, you, you try. Um, Pullman, 2-5. Um, you know, he's played well. Like, I thought he had a good game against Nashville with Hughes. It was the first time I've seen Hughes and Pullman play together that I've been like, okay, I, I like that. That's fine. Um, I haven't really thought that much all season, but I but I thought it worked there. Uh, you've got Hamannick at three. Uh, you've got... You know Dickinson at, at two. What is it? Two six something like that. Yep. Two six yep. five. So you know, and then and then you've got Pearson, a guy who Rutherford has traded before, right? Um, if you're able to carve out some cap space there, if you're able to get that number up to like twenty, then I think you can look at your roster and be like, okay, we have twenty million in cap space, or or seventeen million in cap space, or something like that. You know, that's enough that we can materially improve our depth and our and rebuild our blue line. And, and you know, I think you have to look at it and in a really clear eyed way. Ask yourself, can we be a top 10 team? Can we be a top 10 team? Right. If we lock up Horvat and Miller to these extensions, whatever they look like. Right. Are we a top 10 team next season? And if they. If they are. If the answer is no, if the answer is no, and the extension that you'd be signing isn't isn't team friendly, isn't to your liking, then I, then I don't think it's a hard decision about what has to come next in the offseason. But I don't think the time to make that call is is yet, um, at least in my view. That optimally, I think the team waits a little bit 
even if you're on team, you know, detonate this group and try again. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't think the time is now necessarily. I think you can gather more facts and have a better understanding of what an extension looks like and what type of flexibility you're going to have in the offseason after the year is over. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it makes more sense in the offseason and you get a real look at what you actually have. I think Rutherford probably needs more time. Players like JT Miller aren't guys you just want to pass up on, right? I mean, regardless of what your stylistic fit is, JT Miller fits in anywhere, right? I mean, he's a top six player anywhere regardless of what your style is right yeah would you would you love a guy that's quicker sure but he does so many things well um you know and there's a consistency to his game and his effort and his intensity that um most teams want most gms want right i mean we've seen the downside of jt miller and that intensity when things are going really poorly but you obviously don't build your team expecting those types of moments uh, on the regular so I think he's a player that's really, really difficult to part with, right? You, you look back at a guy like that and you constantly lament because wherever he goes, he's going to produce because of, you know, his his internal drive and just kind of what he possesses. So he's a tough guy to move on from. It's a, it's a tough message to send your organization. But regardless, you also want to extract as much value as you can and you got to time that up right. So you definitely can't do it this year. We've seen what this team looks like when you lose leadership pieces, right? Uh, you know, obviously it didn't go well a couple of years ago. And I think JT Miller has become that. So it's not a move you make lightly, but it no. is a move you're going to have to look at, right? Like you've got to legitimately look at all avenues to get yourself better. And what does better mean, right? Like what is the return, you know, before, like, look, for me, I think they overpaid to get him and, and not because he wasn't worth the first round draft pick, but just because of the situation they were in versus what Tampa was in, you know, you would have thought a little bit more of a savvy management team could have found a way to take advantage of the pressure that they were dealing with. If this is not to say he wasn't worth a first, it's just like, sure, he's worth a first, but is he worth, worth a first in that situation? Like, could you not have done better, right? So... It, you know, again, it, it just depends on what that return looks like, right? Like all of a sudden, if if it was JT Miller for a first this offseason, that's not enough. Because chances are the team that would be offering you that first is in a contention window and that first would be outside the top 20. No, but right? his, like his, his, his value's gone up. Like, I mean, it is what that's it what is. I'm, that's He's, what, I'm, say that's what yeah, I'm saying, right? Like, so right. talk to me when we know what the return is. 100%. Right? Like, Talk to me when we know what the return is. Well, um, I, and, and I, I mean, I think it would be first plus. Like you're well, looking sure. at, you're looking at first plus a top prospect. I think for a player like Miller, and you know that's part of the logic, right? It's it's that he's extremely valuable. He's you know going to be highly sought after if the Canucks decide to move him. There's going to be a lot of suitors. Um, you know, you you see this sometimes, like, and this was this was what was tough about the last Canucks regime was it was like when a player was playing badly, they'd consider moving him, right? When the player yeah, was no playing kidding. well, they wouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you like you've gotta you've gotta give to get. And, you know, there is an argument that this team doesn't take a step forward without taking a step back. Uh that, you know, that might need to happen. And then I always think that the idea of like, well, you don't get better trading this player. It's like, oh you might. <laughs> you know, it's not JT Miller is sort of proof of concept, right? He's a guy who goes from a bottom six role in Tampa Bay where he's seen as like a top six forward playing lower down the lineup. And all of a sudden he's a point per game guy, right? Like he's one of the best uh, playmaking wingers in the in the sport. You know, he's not Panarin or Huberto or Kucherov, but he's that next tier down. Plus he plays gritty. Plus he can play center. Plus he wins draws, right? Like he can do all these things that 
you know, he didn't he didn't really show a lot of in in Tampa can Bay. Kill penalties, play on the power play, he can yeah, do it all. He can do it, he can do it all. He and and he's and he's uh, you know, well liked, a, a leader type player, a playoff type player. I mean, look, there's nothing to not like about JT Miller in my view. Uh, so, you know, that that's part of the calculus too. Is is you got to you got to give something to get something at some point. And and who does this team give to get better? Um to get faster, to, to get flexibility. All of those things matter. And that's the last thing to, to add in here, which is that, you know, you can win in a, in a hard cap system, a trade you lose. And, and I, I bring up Florida for this. I, I talked about it a little bit on Canucks hour, so I won't get too far into it, but it's like, if you trade a player making $5 million for a first round pick and a prospect, Right. One thing you've also gained is five million in cap space. Even if that five million in cap space is well spent, there's still a ton of interesting things you're able to do with cap space. Period. Right? Like it's a hugely valuable asset because it's it, it opens up options. Right? I mean, one example for you know one example is like every year there's guys on contracts that teams are willing to pay to get off of. Right before Mark Andre Fleury won the Vesna, they were offering teams a first to take on Mark Andre Fleury's contract. Uh, Adam Henrique is another guy. Like you could get Adam Henrique and a pick. So it's are you? How much worse are you if you say just just this is just a hypothetical, just to illustrate a point about the value of cap space, right? If you were to trade Miller and get a first and, and a top defenseman prospect, right? Like say it's to New York, who Frank Saravalli reported is hot after Miller, and you get you know one of Schneider or Linkvist plus uh, a 2023 lightly protected first that converts to a 2024 first in the event that they don't make the playoffs or something like that, right? Like give give yourself a shot at getting like a really really good pick or a really really good asset, uh, Seth Jones style, then. You get a second round pick to take a, a guy like an Enrique for for five million, and and so all of a sudden your return is right two picks and an asset. Plus you've gone from a player who's you know worth a um, hundred points to a player worth like eighty points, like a really good third line center who can help your penalty kill or something like that. I mean, there's all sorts of options that you open up. Uh, you can legitimately now win a trade you lose if you're creative about how you use that cap space. And that's another important point to note, uh, especially as the Canucks consider what to do next and as fans ponder what that will look like. But I, I don't see a Miller trade happening in season. I don't think it should. Um, he's excellent. He's the heartbeat of this team right now. And, you know, I again, I just think this group has earned the right with how they performed over the last 15 games to see this through. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite-free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I know we've got a few more Canucks topics to get into, Drancer, but interesting uh, oh, sorry, media sorry, wars, sorry. I guess. Before we get to Maddie, because we, we're yeah, definitely okay. going to talk Maddie versus Leon. But I want to note something really quickly, which is that as the Canucks have traveled across the Southeast, they've left players strewn, strewn across <laughs> the landscape, right? I mean, yeah. Sautner in Florida, Halak in Carolina, Garland in Washington, um, you know, and then and then Horvat in Nashville, right? They've left all these players strewn across. We don't know when they'll be available to the club again. What a nightmare. What an absolute oh nightmare. Yeah, and the logistics involved in that are, are crazy. And we oh. do believe that they, they could get a Halak and Garland back as early as this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be crossing their fingers that they do. Um, but, you know, this team could be shorthanded for a bit. And yeah, but you have- know what? They showed well. And, and this team has been ridiculously healthy. So this is quite the exercise for when you actually get a real injury. Like, at least in the cases of, of these things, like, you know when you're going to get them back. Obviously, well, you the don't. Whole- well, I was going to say, obviously, the hor- the, the <laughs> yeah. Besser thing turned into a, a fiasco. Sideshow. But I think they, they've probably learned from that and probably aren't going to have to go through that again to the same uh, degree. At the end of the day, you're always at the mercy of the border guard. Like, it happens. You could see uh, you could see them get three guys back on a predictable timeline and not the fourth. Like, that could happen. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is always up to the border guard. You know, like, it's it's a really dicey spot to be in. As the Canucks prepare to face the Panthers and then the Blues and then uh, is it the Oilers and then Winnipeg Cal? I mean, it's a tough stretch to be without guys like that. So team will have to hope that they're back soon. Anyway, I just wanted to note that because it's it's quite something, right? Like it's different than anything I can ever remember. A team coming home and it's like, well, you know, we, we lost some good men out there. <laughs> <laughs> well you know but but again like i said this team has been ridiculously healthy and this exercise is is nothing more than that right i mean the fact that they won the game that they just did against nashville without all of them right like without with like garland has been one of this team's top five maybe even top three players on balance over the course of the entire season right and, and horvat is their captain so like these are significant pieces that in the past would have crumbled them especially coming off three losses. And like, I I think it speaks well for them that they've made it through without them. And, you know, at some point, somebody's going to get hurt and miss an extended, somebody important is going to get hurt and miss an extended period of time. I mean, you know, not of the Travis Hamanick variety, but, you know, of the the meaningful top four defensemen, top six forward variety, right? And this is this is that. So I think it's a, it's a good exercise because you don't view them as injuries. You kind of view it as beyond your control, but it, it's still, it's good. Like it, it sucks that they're not playing, but it, it's good that they're not wallowing in that. This team wallows in one injury, right? Like that's what the DNA of this team has been previously. Like one guy. Heck, for the first half of the season, they wallowed in not having Brandon Sutter. <laughs> yeah, those days are done. Right? Like that's another Whoa. that's another Rutherford hockey classic. Guys are going to be you're gonna have to be deep enough to be next man up. Like that's that's the buzz fizzbit mark donk thing, right? That's the that's the lose Eric Cole for the playoffs thing. Like that those days are done in Vancouver. 
And thank Absolutely. goodness. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk, Leon and, and Maddie. So uh, I, I tweeted about this yesterday, and certainly got a lot of reaction. Much of it from Oiler Nation. But um, there was are, an exchange. Are Oilers fans upset? Oh, like ninety percent of them were were all hating Maddie. Yeah, you media guys stick together. It was a stupid question, you know. And, and to break it down, I mean, but, obviously, but are, there's been, but are Oilers fans in general a little frustrated these days? What a pity! Well, they all are. For what sure a pity! Oh. Hate yeah, to see it's it. Sad. It's sad. <laughs> so you, we, we, we both have such. We, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just the, so the evil cackle of Thomas. Are Strauss. they wearing? Are they wearing uh, crowns? <laughs> they all wearing plush crowns. <laughs> well, it's city champions, you know. Yeah. How does how does Michael Irvin feel about it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. So, but but I digress. So. At the press conference yesterday, which is still in person, right? Edmonton is the only team in Canada that still does in-person media availabilities. Everybody else is on Zoom. So uh, Jim Matheson, and, and you know, and, and I think there's been some history there as far as whether it be negative articles or whatever it is, and and you know, this team is wearing every bit of it. Uh, and Drysaddle has had a reputation in the past as being petulant. And Jim Matheson's a Hockey Hall of Fame writer that's probably at the stage of his career where he doesn't give a damn what you think, you dumb, spoiled, punk athlete. I'm just going to ask and say what I want. So I'm sure there's that on both sides. Um, But uh, he asked him, like, you know, there's been so many things that haven't gone right. Like, could you specify in your mind what's the most important or what's the biggest problem? And... Math, uh, and Dreisaitl said everything. And he said, could you expand on that? And Dreisaitl said, nope. Uh, you know everything anyway. And, you know, so he started it like he baited him there. And then Matheson stepped back and said, can I ask you why you're being so pissy? <laughs> right. And he said, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. Right. So the so the Euler fans, like I, I sent out the tweet and I said, look, the first question was fair. And they're like, well, what about the rest of it? But they don't want to notice the in-between part where he said, yeah, well, you know everything anyway. Right. I mean, uh, or, yeah. I, look, so he took him there. Like Dreisaitl took him there and Maddie took the bait. Which, you know, should he have, shouldn't he have? I, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have. Like, I wouldn't have gone down the why are you so pissy wrote. But um, just it, it just shows a ridiculous level of frustration. Yes. And it, it certainly brings out the, the oh, you media guys are all the same stuff, right? But, like, where do you go with that? Because, <laughs> you know, Connor's had some, you know, really meaningless media availabilities of late, right? Yep. Or maybe meaningful for the wrong reasons. Right. Uh, if you think if you think Connor McDavid, the best player on the planet is above the fray, well, he's not. Uh, it's it's you know, it's not been good. So, you know, my basic my basic point of view on this and look, I don't typically conduct my own interviews this way. But if you're being rude, I'm waiting for you to ask JT Miller why he's being pissy. I would never do that. I would never do that. Um, <laughs> JT Miller. JT Miller and I had a tiff earlier this season, right? Where he didn't appreciate my coverage, where he was upset with the way that I'd um, gone after him. Remember, remember after that Pittsburgh game? And I think it ultimately was a game that changed a lot in terms of how this franchise thought about their team and the level of patience that applied to, you know, frankly, both Travis Green and Jim Benning. But you you remember that availability? I was the, I'm the only guy in Pittsburgh, and I asked that run of two word questions or or four yeah. like quick short staccato questions at JT Miller, and ultimately he goes silent when asked if the team is buying in. Right? Is everyone buying in? That was the question. Uh, right? And yep. he was mad at me about it. Right? Like he didn't like it. He was he was he he thought I went after him, and I kind of did. 
And then the next day in Columbus, I tweeted about the practice, right? We don't know what we're doing. And he thought that was unfair. And so I approached him in Boston, just like I had a sense that this guy was, you know, not happy, couldn't possibly be happy with me, even though he's so not online, right? Like he's like the least online Canucks player. And we, we hashed it out. And then I said, you know, let's like, let's do this on the record. I'll, I'll explain your side if you'll explain it. And I, he said, okay. And, and we did. And, you know, I don't think there's a problem there. I don't think, you know, you're not friends with these people, but I mean, Miller and I have, I've interviewed Miller a lot over the years. Like, you know, I think there's a relative, um, I, I at least think there's some amount of, uh, of trust there. I'd never ask him why he's being pissy because that's just not my style personally, but I don't have a problem with telling someone who's being rude to you that they're being rude to you. Yeah, it's fair. Like, how can anyone, how can anyone have a problem with that? You know, like pissy is just a synonym for rude. Like you're being rude. You're being a dick. Like, yeah, Dreisaitl was being a dick and he got called out on it. Like, you know, a couple things. One is it says a lot about the Oilers that their star player can't even successfully dunk on a local journalist. <laughs> like that, that's the size of the rut they're in. But secondly, secondly, and this would be my PR guy feedback to Leon if I was working with him would be, you know, first of all, you, you'd be like, you'd listen to him vent for five minutes, right? Fuck that guy. You'd say, you'd say, fuck that guy. And then you'd listen for five minutes as they vent, right? And then you'd say, you know, one thing, one thing to keep in mind, right? Like one thing I'd suggest to you is, um, you know, if you'd said something basic, if you'd given a road answer, right? Um, you know, I know a lot of people are pointing fingers at, at certain parts of our game, but for me, it's everything. For me, everything needs to be better if we're going to get this season back on track. If you give that rote, boring answer, right? Um, you win. You win. That's that's a win for you. When you make it personal, right? When you get upset, you've actually provided more insight into the pressure you're feeling and that this team is feeling, and that's how they win. That's how they trick you. Like now our frustration levels a story. And and so I'd consider that for next time. That would be my feedback. And because I think I think ultimately the video clip that results is a fascinating window into the into where this team is, you know, spiraling at the moment and and the extent of that spiral. Um, but you know, I don't have a problem with like I don't think Leon owes Maddie deference. And I don't think Maddie is wrong to call out a player who's being rude to him. I, I have no problem with the exchange on either on either end. I'd have, you know, I'd have feedback for Leon from the vantage point of my experience. Uh, I, I know that I wouldn't myself um, take umbrage with a question the same way that Maddie did. But, you know, Maddie's done this a lot longer than me, right? Maddie, Ma- I kind of admire that he did. So, you know, the idea that there's some like moral repugnance here. Um, that miss me with that, miss me entirely with that. I kind of just thought that it was like, I thought it was a good soundbite o- overall. I, I don't have a problem with how either uh, gentlemen conducted themselves, but I, you know, I thought it was fascinating. And, and I, I liked Scott Burnside's piece today talking about how, to some extent, this is a product like the one thing, the one advantage that I had with Miller there was I was still face to face. I was able to grab him after a practice and talk one on one. Sure, I was masked and he wasn't and it wasn't normal and it's not like it was in a locker room. But, you know, um, I do think that the 
dehumanized experience that is the one-way video teleconference does amplify the possibility for you know moments that don't go well and and there was but one it, but in this case it wasn't it was in person no i know but but it's still not face to face it's still not right. the same you're still you know 10 feet away talking into that microphone that's being handed around that beautifully decorated oilers media room like it's just a different thing entirely right and you know i i do think that that contributes to it I, and and i do think the ability to go and just chat out an issue with someone is absolutely crucial to getting really good answers and and you know i thought about this too like it wasn't all that different really from uh petterson kind of ducking questions about his struggles with with ian mcintyre following the washington capitals game the other like this weekend right it's like you know the way that the question was framed, like, did you ever think you wouldn't score again? And PD's like, no, I know what I'm capable of. Um, you know, it sort of creates this environment where it's tough to get the good answer. Not not the question itself, but the the environment. And, you know, in a normal world, if that exchange went down on camera, one of us, and probably me, but one of us would sidle up to PD and, and be like, oh, you know, and you, you comment on the question that went wrong and then you get good insight. You know, and and that's that's the game, and that's what we're losing right now is the ability to get those follow ups, is to to dive deep, is for someone to sidle up to Leon and be like, "Hey, look, you seem really frustrated with you know in that exchange, like what what's going on?" Um, and also for reporters and and players, their subjects to uh, to hash things out agreeably off camera, away from Zoom. Um, th- yeah, that's all stuff that we don't have right the- now. Is the viewer served or not? Like, was a was a viewer or a fan served by what happened yesterday? I say like, yes. It's, it's a, yeah, because it, in an ugly way, yeah. Because now I you mean, see I, the level I'm of frustration. I'm not a fan, and I felt well served. I watched it like six times uh, in Starbucks, and I was cackling. I was losing it. I was laughing so hard. I was like, yes, this is great. Well, I love it. As we get to our NFL picks, I know we were both cackling at the Dallas Cowboys losing to the San Francisco 49ers because we both saw that coming. Uh, that Cowboys team is completely fraudulent. They are completely fraudulent. I lost my nerve. I took I took the Dallas money line late. You know, no. like, I, yeah, I really compounded my my win and made it a loss. Like, I really did poorly there and then got bailed out because the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey in particular sort of saved my bacon. So. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, you go five for six on a weekend, you're going to do well, especially if you're if you've got a fair bit of action on the games, which I did. Um, but uh, but I would say, like, I lost my nerve in Niners Dallas once Jimmy G just started looking like he was going to do everything possible to give the ball away. Um, I was like, yeah, I think Dallas can do this. And then, of course, the draw play so stupid. And then but they uh, always they always the find ways to lose in the stupidest ways. Come on, Cardinals! Like, and then and then I you know and then I was down another certain amount of money um, after banking on the Cardinals a little too heavily, and that sucks. Yeah, no, it was uh, we we were walking around like Conor McGregor after Sunday. I know uh, five for five. Although, like, I don't th- I don't think a lot of those d- games were difficult to predict. I mean, I I know that there's an emotional pull to the Cowboys, but any look at how that team's actually played this year, they're completely fraudulent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I don't think they're uh, I don't think they're com- fraudulent. Completely fraudulent. Uh, I think um, they I think they, they I think they made they a com- bunch of stupid errors and lost to a team. They yeah, they made beat. the errors they made all year. Fourteen penalties for the most penalized team in the league. You got yeah, a secondary. No, Trayvon Diggs had 11 picks, but he gave up a thousand yards in receiving this year, right? Like this team hemorrhaged yards all year. They relied on red zone and turnovers.
turnovers. You can't win like that. Offense had been completely inconsistent. They never could run the ball effectively. They got what we, what most of us saw coming. Like that was what the Dallas Cowboys are. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, think, I just 49ers think Zeke aren't that good. Zeke couldn't move. They averaged three yards uh, a carry. But he couldn't move all year. You don't build no, teams no, like that. No, no, he could move until about week 12, 11. He was good for the first 10, 11 weeks. And then and then it all compounds, too, because of Dak's calf. And Dak was terrible. Like, Dak, and he was not terrible all year. And then last thing, um, you know, even, even late, like before they give it up, right? Because they get the ball back a last time with no time left. But they had that throw to extend the drive that goes through uh, Cedric Wilson's hands, right? Um, Does Gallup make that play? I think he does. I don't think that I I did. I disagree that the Cowboys were fraudulent. Uh, I, but I, but I wasn't surprised that they lost. There is is no chance the Dallas Cowboys would have won any other division in football other than the NFC East. Yeah, probably right. Uh, let's get to this week's picks. Uh, we've got Saturday. Interesting, interesting matchup. Like the AFC is is epic as as I yeah, see it. So I mean, good. you've got Tennessee hosting Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's good enough to beat every anybody right now. Like, I think can so, they go yeah. on a run? They, they could, but like they can certainly win any one game. You've got Derrick Henry expected to return. The Titans at home favored by three and a half, and really three and a half. You know, anywhere around three is is basically because you're at home. Um, so Tennessee, Cincinnati, where are you going? I think I think since Cincinnati's changed the way they play great piece on the athletic about it, by the way, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but looks at their looks at their upgrade in the cook index uh, since they lost to the Niners, right? They had that loss to the Niners where they ran Mm -hmm. Joe Mixon on second down. And ever since then, they've been airing it out like crazy, um, you know, letting le- letting Joe cook. They've been letting Burrow cook for on. And uh, as such, uh, I think they're a different team now than they were previously. Yeah, it's a piece by Paul Denner Jr. Highly recommend it at The Athletic. Unleashing Joe Burrow. The Bengals let their young QB take over and he's been red hot ever since. Um I'm a, obviously I look I'm taking the Bengals not not purely for intellectual reasons partly for um partly for emotional reasons like partly because I love Joe Burrow and I feel like I owe Jamar Chase my my fantasy championship but um <laughs> but I just think the Bengals have an offense good enough to overwhelm the Titans D uh, I know the Titans have some really big wins this season over the elite of the a- of the AFC including both the Chiefs and the Bills who I think are better than them uh, I don't think I think the Titans are a little bit of a paper tiger, even if they have Derrick Henry back, who I don't think the Bengals can stop based on what we saw Josh Jacobs do to them right on on Saturday last weekend. Uh, like, I think Derrick Henry could could be a big factor in this game. I just I think the Bengals have enough that they're going to be able to put up the points they need. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they can beat you offensively so many different ways. And, you know, what we saw with Kyler Murray, where, they, where the eyes got a little big, you're not going to see that from no Joe chance. Burrow. Like, if, if you watch Joe Burrow play in the in the national championship game, there is no stage that's going to be too big for this kid. So, Burrow, I'm taking him. Um, so, we're both on the same page for that one. San Francisco, Green people, Bay. People are going to feel silly. Like, the Titans are favored, but it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look silly. In two years that everyone was like, yeah, you know, the favorite team has Ryan Tannehill and the underdog has Joe Burrow. Like two, right. two three years from now, people are going to look back at that and be like, oh, yeah, that was why did that? That made no sense. And I love Ryan Tannehill. Like, I think Tannehill is way better than um, than average, but or not way better than average. But I definitely think he's average. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I think that's going to look silly in retrospect. That's one of those games for me. 
San Francisco at Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay had the bye. They're getting Frozen healthy on tundra. the defensive side of the ball. Frozen Tundra. Uh, Jimmy G's got a little bit of a shoulder ding on top of his finger thing. Um, six points is the line. Green Bay favored. I think Green Bay wins this and covers. Yeah, me too. What, what's uh, Do we know anything about Bosa and uh, the linebacker? Uh, Warner, I think, is expected to play Bosa. They're going to wait right until the end of the week, but it wasn't Yikes. looking good a couple Yikes. of days ago. So, I, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, give I think me Green Bay and the spread. I agree. And and Green Bay's average against the run. You know, can San Francisco move the ball and try to keep the ball away from, uh, away from Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, to a point, but it's Jimmy G in cold weather. It's you, you've got you've got so many you know weapons for Aaron Rodgers to to navigate offensively I, I think they're going to be able to put up a big number on San Francisco and San Francisco won't be able to keep up yeah uh, the Rams, I, and I don't think their defense is that good the Packers like I think the Packers are going to run into more trouble the next week but um yeah I think they can I think they can beat the 49ers and those defensive injuries for me were sort of the final straw I was considering it and now I'm not the Rams um and uh, Tampa Bay Tampa favored by three at home uh Tom Brady does what Tom does. Uh, the Rams were my preseason pick to make it to the Super Bowl, but they were my pick last week to lose to Arizona. Um, I'm going to take the Rams, uh, and this is probably a, a gut pick as much as anything, but I think they've got the ability to get pressure on Brady without having to bring a lot of additional pressure. Yeah, uh, I think they match up well in the secondary. And um, Do we know, you know what weapons Tampa's going to have? Like, is, is Lenny back? Uh, I I know they were leaning to getting him back next week or this coming week, yeah. uh, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah. I know last week the talk was he'd be available this week. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it just comes down to what weapons Tampa has. Like, you know, the Rams have done a better job. <laughs> uh, well, the Rams had more time, but it's like they lost Woods earlier in the season than the than the Bucks lost Good Godwin, right? So uh, they were able to get Odell Beckham. Um, I think the Bucks are going to be able to turn the ball over. So for the, for the first time in our era doing NFL picks, I think we're going to disagree here. I'm going with Brady. Okay, and that's not a wrong, that's not the wrong pick. I uh, yeah, that's not. I don't think it's a bad one. I think that's, that was a tough one for me. But I'm going to yeah. go. I'm going to go Rams. Just you know, the Rams don't generate the number of turnovers. Sorry, let me take that back. The Bucks don't generate a ton of turnovers. And I look at the Rams and. I just liked what I saw from Stafford. I picked Tampa to win because I thought Stafford would turn the ball over. Yeah, me too. Uh, don't know that he will here. Can LA run the ball effectively up. against Tampa? Acres you know, helps. Acres helps well, a they, lot. Holy that's the cow. thing is if they can't if they can't run the ball and they and all of a sudden there's that much more pressure on Stafford, he could turn the ball over, right? But I'm yeah. just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge on this one. Weather's not gonna be a factor because it'll be warm in Tampa, but I'm yeah, I think the Rams are gonna eke it out. Now this is a tough one. The Chiefs were my preseason pick to get to the Super Bowl. I love watching the Kansas City Chiefs. I love watching Patrick Mahomes. It's probably like the biggest tie that binds my son and I is, is watching the Chiefs, right? Uh, Chiefs favorite only by a point and a half, which at home probably tells you, you know, a lot. And I'm yeah. taking Buffalo in this game. Yeah, me too. I'm taking Buffalo. Like, I I think it's their time. And I, and I saw a bit of turnover stuff that I didn't like in the last game in that first quarter against Pittsburgh. Both of these teams are playing... Look, they're playing really well. I mean, for the Bills to go seven possessions and score, uh, for Kansas City to go six straight possessions and score, you know, the Bills since that second game against New Orleans or against New England have finally been the team I thought they'd be. But, you know, and 
this is a tough one for me. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to the game. Uh, I will be there for awesome. it. Awesome. I'm jealous. But, uh, and you should be because these that games are great. I've been to a couple of Arrowhead playoff games and, and it's spectacular. This is the game of the playoffs. And and I do. Think this is the a, Super Bowl. The winner of this game is winning the Super Bowl. I agree with that. The uh, winner this of this is, game is winning the Super Bowl. This is going to be fantastic. Um, I'm I'm taking the Bills, too. I just think that they're I think their defense is better at the end of the day. Like, I think that's the big separator. Um, the Bills are so inconsistent as a team that it's a little bit tough for me to to do this with like a, a good degree of confidence and, and that'll probably reflect the well maybe not we'll see how the weekend goes <laughs> the, the amount of money that i put on it but the uh, i just think the bills have the highest top gear in the nfl when the bills are going well uh, i think their top gear is completely unmatchable it just feels like josh allen's time doesn't it yeah, it does. And, and like I said, it'll be tough for me to watch Mahomes lose because, um, like I said, I just love watching him play. These are the two best young quarterbacks in football. They're going to be around a long time. They, it's a fourth time they've played in the last two seasons. It feels like a divisional game. This feels like Brady Manning. Yeah, right? it like, does a little bit. In that we're going to see these two guys in the AFC battle it out for a long, long time. Except they're both so, more exciting. They both have like larger toolboxes than those guys did somehow. They do have larger toolboxes for sure, but it's I mean, incredible. it's not like it's not like those two guys were ever bad, right? No, like those no, no, two those guys two, can put up ridiculous I mean, numbers, but they do incredible. Differently. Yeah, they, they do I, it differently. I'm, I'm just so. saying, I've never seen anything like Josh Allen. Like I've never seen. He looks like Eddie George with an arm. Yeah, like he, he's a unicorn on a lot of levels. It's wild. I've never seen anything like it. And then and then Mahomes obviously outrageous. I, I, part partly to uh, I'm not sure like. I know Stefan Diggs is Stefan Diggs. I don't know that Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill right now. Like, that's a big uh, thing he? for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the one touchdown he scored, he looked like he had his speed, but they just didn't use him a ton. The only time uh, the only know. time I thought it looked like he had his feet was when he was doing the flips. <laughs> that was awesome. I, yeah, loved him. So I loved him dancing with the pom-poms and Mahomes ripping them away from him. Yeah, and, and Buffalo won big earlier, but that was week five. That was a completely different Chiefs team. But yeah, well, and a completely different uh, Bills team, right? Like... The the Bills, the Bills played offense completely differently. Uh, yeah, but they started better, right? Like they started a lot better than Kansas City did. Yeah. They uh, did. So the only so the only pick that we are opposite on, and this isn't a strong one for me, is the Rams in Tampa. You got the Bucks, you got Brady, yeah. And uh, you're you're doing the smart thing, and I'm uh, swinging yeah. for the fences here with the Rams uh, that Stafford won't turn the ball over. But I'll probably be laughing about that next week that I thought that Stafford wouldn't turn the ball over. I've spent my entire life rooting against Tom Brady, and and now that it's the end, I'm just done with that. Yeah, no, it's fair. There's like I I certainly it's been um, a, it's been a long two decades. It has been a long two decades, and, I've been, and I certainly cheered against him throughout his New England time. Yeah, um, me too. But uh, anyway, that's it. That's it. those are our picks. So for so over the course of two weeks and yeah, ten I picks, learned, we've only gotten I, one differently. I learned my lesson early in Tom Brady's uh, career, Farhan. Don't take the Rams when Tom Brady is involved. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, other shows on the Athletic this week: Team USA Olympic head coach David Quinn joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, meanwhile, as for us, thanks for listening to the Vancast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now, you can get an annual subscription to the Athletic for just three ninety nine a month when you visit theathletic.com slash the Vancast. Our show returns on Monday. We'll have a couple of games between now and then, including home games, Drancer. The Canucks play at home. Say it ain't so. Amazing. First time in, what, 40 days? Well, Incredible. Well, yeah, and, and I and I won't be there now because I just got the, the Kansas City trip uh, put on my plate yesterday, which I'm loving, not complaining. Yeah, that's all right. 
but uh, I was looking forward to a Canuck home game. I'll have to watch it on TV. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you'll, you'll be watching Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Beautiful. I know. I can't wait. Hey, looking forward to that and looking forward to doing this again on Monday. We'll see what uh, the Canucks Boudreaux record looks like at that point. 10-3-1 since he took over. It should be fun to discuss the rematch against Florida when we come back on Monday.